was watching uh, Philanthropist. Um, hang on, no, let me. I'm just trying to remember what his name was. Fuck. It wasn't Robert Miles. It was another guy. It was a dude who used to do like spoken word poetry and stuff on YouTube. Yeah. And he was saying that he viewed every um, creative venture as a business venture. Yeah. And I was thinking about that and like that sort of philosophy. And quite a lot of people that I know are just like, I, I guess you could call them pure creatives, mm. where like they're creating stuff, but they don't have that kind of like business ethic about it. It's just like right. content is just kind of being like spewed out, and there's no real like goal for it, it just kind of exists. Um, and like my relationship with creativity has changed like a lot because I used to do it like sort of habitually. I used to be like, Oh, I'll create a song every day. But nowadays I'm, I'm like, um, I, I schedule in my shit and I kind of have to like, I don't want to say force it. Cause like it, it does come naturally as well, but I have to conjure it up. You know, it has to come from somewhere. You know, when I was a kid, I guess because because everything was fresh, you know, it just came like, you know, water out the out, out of a faucet. But with especially going into like mid twenties, late twenties, I, I feel like it's something where I've got to like go out and find something to be inspired by, and then like interpret it and then put it on. It doesn't. Yeah. It's it's like there has to be like a conscious effort towards the creative flow. It it's not just something that happens kind of, uh, when it, you know like just a spur of the moment. It, yeah. It's like it's a it's a it's an effort. And um, another thing that I've been doing a lot is like just really like assessing, um, like how I spend my time a lot because what would me having to schedule in my creativity and schedule in, you know, where I do my work. I also have to schedule in every other aspect of my life, you know? And so when I was younger, I couldn't hold a schedule at all, but nowadays it's like, it's like structure. So it's, it's beneficial in that sense. Um, what do you think of that, that quote anyway, the gone rephrase, every... rephrase it. Um, Every creative is uh, every creative venture is also a business venture. Um, I think like that just sort of relates to how you know, you know how we live in the modern world and like you know the modern economy and stuff. You know, they say like time is money because you know every you know every moment of time can be turned into like a creation of wealth in some regards. So. In a in a sense, yeah, like you know, any anything can be, you know, valued, especially like in if it can be digitally recorded. So I was like making this point recently, actually, about how um, you could theoretically like record record data of yourself walking, you know, on like a pedometer app, and sell that data on a blockchain. And mm -hmm. you know, so so like even the act of walking can be like an act of wealth creation now, theoretically. You know, if you can find mm -hmm. someone to actually buy that data, and you know, mm -hmm. um, and there's patents out on that exact thing. 
<laughs> there you go. Like, um, you know, that's sort of the world we're moving into now. Like, everything's going to be, you know, like, valued in that sense. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially if I had a... this web free stuff continues to unfold anyway. Yeah. I had a story concept back in like 2014 for like a novel I wanted to write where it was, it basically tied into the, the idea that like, um, we'd, we'd like, the economy had already collapsed. We were already in like a, a, a sort of police grid system where everyone was being monitored with CCTV. Yeah. And the way that I envisaged it was the new currency was like social media impressions mm. and getting people to click on your shit. That that became like the new currency because every other currency, the pound, the dollar, the euro had just like collapsed and become worthless. Well, it's almost like pathetic thing... in a way because like I think that's actually where we're heading towards in a sense. You know, like I, I can see within this decade people like earning micro payments in crypto for that sort of thing exactly. <laughs> you know, like, you know, get yeah. like 50,000 retweets therefore like Twitter, you know, pays you out so and so in twitter coin or what have you um so like that sounds like you know so like that's the thing of like creativity as well i think um it can be sort of like prophetic like people sort of feel changes in the air and they can sort of like express it in advance of it happening i think you know Mm -hmm. a lot of the best creative works in history are exactly that like thinking about um you know like cyberpunk like going back to like Philip K. Dick and all that kind of stuff. You know, they were very the like, prophetic writers. Yeah, they were like very prophetic with the things they were writing. And, you know, that that in a sense that is one aspect of creativity is sort of like getting a feel for where things are heading and sort of like expressing it in advance. But um, in mm-hmm. let me let me ask you a question then, since this is like an interview. Um, you you were just saying, you know, that like you've always had that sort of creative like inclination and i think you know even in even in the things that you might think aren't creative like you are actually being creative like you know like your job essentially now is you know running this magazine evolve magazine and um for people who also don't know yet that you're coming back as the general manager of dream catalog too but actually these are you know like quite creative roles um you know, you've got to do a lot of creative thinking and creative work as part of both mm. of them um, in many senses. So maybe that maybe that is actually why, you know, that you feel you have to force it sometimes because, like, you're already doing so much creative work as it is that, you know, in the times that you would have otherwise been doing creative work, you just don't want to do it anymore because you're a bit, like, creative worked out. <laughs> is that yeah. do you feel I mean, that there's some like truth to that yeah that, like the way that i view it these days is like uh sam hyde has been on fire he's put out some absolutely stellar videos and one of the quotes in one of his recent videos i think that came out a few months back was like uh how many fucking ideas do you need you know and and and, and his, his his philosophy was like um it's 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 not so much how many creative ideas you have and like how much creativity you have in like the sense of like coming up with novel and unheard of concepts. Yeah. It's more so the work ethic that's involved in expressing those concepts. You know? Yeah. So it's yeah. like 
you, you can come up with shit that no one's ever heard of all day long. You know, it's it, it's not too hard. You just you know become schizophrenic, but um, actually like expressing that in a sort mm-hmm. of concise and clear and relatable way is like the true um, you know essence of having of being seen as a, this creative person. You know, the idea behind it. It needn't be fresh, you know. You can easily repackage someone else's idea. Look at all the times that you know Hollywood reboots and reimaginings of concepts and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I was just I was just walking centuries. down the street today and I saw um, an ad on the side of the bus for Scream. Just like what is what is yeah. this? It's like the year two thousand and one all over again or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the funny yeah. thing is, the only reason why they're re-releasing Scream is because they want to make a woke version. Oh right, okay. I don't know. That's where it was. That's like literally <laughs> the only version. It's it's literally like oh, the so exact like when they same did movie, the but they've replaced like a few half years back and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, literally yeah. that. They've it's like the exact same movie, <laughs> but they've replaced like half the actors with females. Oh right, I thought it was a lot of females in the first one. Like I, I can't even remember because uh, I remember seeing it when I was a teenager, but like it was you know at some like, like I always remember Scream as being a bit shit. Thing. Yeah, like, like I'd, honest, I'd sort like, of like remember half watching it at like some house party yeah. when I was like fourteen, but or whatever. I, I feel like exactly. that's like I feel like marketing is ultimately what you know makes something successful or unsuccessful over time because everyone says you know oh the iconic screen mask oh it's it's such a famous like horror movie. Yeah. I always remember it just being like crap and just being <laughs> like just this like very bog standard middle of the road kind of horror movie. You know, like it hits all the right notes, and then remember, that's about it. No, I it's, remember it's... when it came out; like it had a load of hype back then when it first came out, like the first one especially, and even Scream Two actually. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like, just I can't, I can't really get inside the head of the type of person who actually goes to the cinema and watches such a thing. Like, I, I'm, I feel like really disconnected from the mainstream in that regard now. <laughs> mm. I can barely even fathom going to see any film. Like, uh, I, w- I watched uh, Matrix 4, just, you know, out of curiosity, as I think, you know, like many people Wasn't did. it god-awful or something? I wasn't as down on it as everyone else. It wasn't it wasn't good, but it wasn't, like, as bad as a lot of people were saying either. I, f- I was sort of, like, lukewarm on it, I guess. There was bits I liked and bits I thought were ridiculous and so forth uh but you know uh it was like watchable i've had so. some friends say to me that it's like actually ruined the matrix franchise for them yeah yeah i mean yeah i'd say it has done that for sure <laughs> but i don't i don't necessarily think that's a, a bad thing it just depends really but you know um i think that that's what we're seeing more than ever though like especially in these modern times we're seeing this sort of exodus out of Hollywood and the old kind of, you know, ways of consuming media, you know, mm. it, it's quite uh, liberating, I think, to see all these, you know, actors and studios and shit go belly up and having to find, you know, new sources of content and new forms of, like, people keeping themselves entertained, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think that, like, one thing that people are kind of overlooking, though, it's like we all kind of have this idea that the internet will be here forever. Uh, you know, like I, I, I talked to my younger sister about it and she was saying that like, I, I, I apologize to her. I said, I'm sorry that you weren't born in an age before the internet. 
And she said, what are you talking about? The internet's amazing. I couldn't imagine my life without it. And I'm just like, I could. And I'm not sure if you'd like it. You know, it, it, it's like, <laughs> I feel like as a society, it's we, we've, we've, got, we've grown this sort of dependence on it. And yeah. people, you know, they, they, they consume all their media through the internet. They consume all their... They have all their business through the internet. They, it's all very digital. And, um, you know, I, I think that people kind of put too much reliance on it being there all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, do but, you? Like, do you feel that way about yourself? I, I feel like I've been kind of plugged in via my umbilical cord since I was, like, a very young kid. Like, I, I got on the internet when I was six and I can already yeah. safely say that like my introduction that young has influenced who I am today. Yeah, now kids, they're, they're being born into that. Like they, mm -hmm. they have no kind of grounding on what life is like when the, the power goes out or, you know, no, yeah, like no... Sophia is all, all already like a YouTube viewer, like ever since she first got a tablet at like the age of one. So, yeah. you know, she, she watches YouTube, like, kids, and, um, you know, she, she, she knows how to operate a, a laptop in some ways already. Like, she can, like, she knows the space bar pauses the video and stuff like that, and she knows the numbers skip to different parts of the video. So, like, her I generation are going to be literally growing up from, like, you know, birth in that environment. Some of the, some of their literal some of their first synapses that they're gonna form in their head is gonna be how to operate YouTube. Yeah, well, like as part as part of everything, it's like um, she's already learned the entire alphabet. She can count to twenty, and you know she can Fantastic. read certain words, and she's you know still only two and a half. Um, that's correct. Well, like I think that's <laughs> yeah, I think that's like partly because of like these apps on the tablet and stuff. Oh, you think it's like actually made her smarter? Yeah, yeah. That's funny because like all all growing up, we used to hear these you know sorts of things like, oh, you, if you sit in front of the TV too long, you get square eyes. You know, <laughs> it, it makes you dumb if you if you spend too much time in front of your know, computers and stuff. Yeah. And then when you, when you look into it, you look at actually the kind of knowledge that's being distributed through the internet and the and the and the sort of preconceived notion that it'd screw your head up. I mean, yeah, it does. But it's like a, a a sort of weird funk that we've all fallen into, and and yeah, like it's, it's 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 become so common now. It, it's like the, the default way for people to operate, and you know it is it, it's, it's that's that's the part that kind of like concerns me because it's like literally what would the world do if the internet went off just for like just for a day? Let's say let, let's say everyone in the world didn't have access to the internet for a whole day. What the fuck would happen? I, like I can imagine, people will be losing their shit in some capacity. Or I another. think if not, I think like when things like that have happened before, like when f Facebook and uh, Messenger and WhatsApp and all that went down a few months ago, if you recall. Like I yeah. remember walking around town, and like it felt like different because <laughs> like nobody had access <laughs> to Because like in this country, most people use WhatsApp and messenger as their main like messenger apps um mm -hmm. so like for the most part like i remember walking past the taxi rank and all the taxi drivers were stood outside their cars ch chatting to each other 
and like that i never usually see that they usually just sat in the cars on their phones so that was like a little example you know maybe you know maybe we should actually have like a weekly day of rest from the internet or something (laughs) like every every sunday like the internet shuts down for the whole world or something like that obviously you you couldn't actually do that because like everything has to be 24 7 now it it could be a quite a healthy like personal habit to take up though yeah yeah definitely like i've you know i've had uh like over the past few years specifically like i've gone off the internet like for a week i've like turned all my like devices off like fully for like a week and i just um go back into reality um mm. and you know even even then though i have like spotify on the tv so it's not quite <laughs> still like yeah i've still got like spotify but um yeah i usually like you know just read a lot more books and stuff like that when i do that um but um, that's another thing though with all the streaming and all that because like all your content comes in through the streaming services you don't really have yeah. anything to yourself you know like yeah, yeah. I, I i remember i was i was talking to a friend of mine and she was saying that um she misses the dvd box set because it was the idea that you'd have like a whole season or a whole series mm. right there and if there was nothing better to do you had something to watch now i don't know the sales on dvd box sets but i can imagine that they're pretty in the toilet you know now that streaming mm. services have come along. i'd imagine like the majority of people who buy that stuff are like over the age of 60 or 70 to be honest even then, yeah. like, I'd imagine, like, quite a lot of, like, 60-plus-year-olds know how to use Netflix and stuff anyway. Um, yeah, like, I remember uh, my grandma, before she passed away, she had, like, Alexa set up, and mm. she had, like, a smart TV, and she had a, a smart, like, one of those thermostat things. So she was already, like, making the transition Yeah. Um, yeah. before she passed. And that was, like, three years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I'd imagine the you know because these these technologies especially compared to like 80s 90s tech you know it it is definitely become a lot more simple so yeah for sure yeah. i can imagine a lot of old people might be you know moving over to spotify and so you Amazon said you said earlier right and um, like the internet isn't going to be here forever like what do you mean by that do you have like a certain belief about it that you know or some events that may transpire um well, I'm worried about your monetization if I disclose it. <laughs> but I suppose if we're going to bear all in this interview, um, I think that what's happening in Canada at the moment is a surefire sign of everyone else in the world that, like, there's, a, there's more, like, the majority of people aren't going along with the uh, agenda that NATO and the UN are pushing. And they're going to need something to keep themselves on top because they're not going to go quietly into the gentle night. What's the, what's the first thing that a tyrant historically will do if they think that they're going to lose, they'll they'll do something bigger to try and like distract from it. You know, it was the fall of Hitler, you know, operation Barbarossa all because world war two on the regular front wasn't doing too good. So I think, especially when you look at their documents, they have something planned called cyber polygon. And it's basically a kill switch that they've mandated in all of these server rooms for Google, Amazon, Meta, mm. all these different services have this kill switch mandated into them. And really? it, yeah. And Cyber Polygon talks about the 
shut off of the internet for regular public people yeah. and then keeping the internet open for a select few like um but drones like, and security cameras and e stuff. even if that's the case right um how could you actually do it because like the top like the the leading corporations on earth and like who dominate the stock market are the tech companies now so like you know the this industry technology has like exceeded like every other industry um mm -hmm. so like the whole you know world economy would collapse in that sense yeah so, and that's what they would be willing to do in order to maintain their positions of power what collapse the entire world economy yeah <laughs> honestly but, um... these, these these people are, 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 are so corrupt have you seen the latest clip that came out of klaus schwab uh no what was it he he, he was he was at a meeting in i think it was canada or something yeah. and he was talking about how he's like infiltrated uh canada's uh cabinet and over half of the uh cabinet members belong to nato and are under un control and and they, he said that we're going to penetrate the the parliaments of the world and, and spread our influence internally right. and it was like it's like so gross and like sexual almost it was like dude <laughs> you're like the old creepy 70 year old balding man <laughs> talking about how you're gonna penetrate governments it's like dude <laughs> so i, I actually read up. i read two klaus schwab books over the christmas period and um like i've got mm -hmm. a better understanding of like him and the world economic forum though because i was actually interested in that stuff before you know the whole great reset conspiracy theory as they call it came about it's not actually a conspiracy theory it's just like a, a concept that klaus schwab and the world economic forum came up with and it's a hypothetical that they sort of presented to everyone yeah like um I, Jack, it's a what-if scenario. Yeah, so Jack, Jack Dorsey actually tweeted about a week or so ago, and he said, the World Economic Forum doesn't deserve as much like negative talk as people give it, um, because it's not actually as useful as people think it is. And I thought yeah. that word he used, like, useful, was kind of, like, indicative of the fact that well, you're you're not saying like bad, you're saying like useful. So like what he's sort of like implying that he wants the World Economic Forum's agenda. Um, but the the World Economic Forum doesn't have the muscle itself. Yeah, but to, I thought I thought it was like interesting because it is a, it, and it indicates you know that there is a sort of like belief in at least one major corporation, as in Twitter or Square or whatever it's called these days. Um, or, at you know, at least one, you know, big, you know, in influential, like, CEO type, that there is, you know, that um, agreement with the WEF. Mm -hmm. And, um, like, if you actually look into, like, the World Economic Forum, like, Essentially, like what Klaus Schwab puts forward, because he he he's like the sort of like ringleader of a, like what 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 the what what it actually is the World Economic Forum. It's like um, he essentially turned the ski resort town in Switzerland into his like personal village, 
where he invites like world leaders and top CEOs and stuff to attend a conference and you know various like meetings and stuff. But like a bit, there's a big conference like every year in January. So it's in it's in a town called Davos, and um. So I so so f- for some reason he's managed to like pull this off, like over the past like fifty years or so it's been going on, and you know, he he now exerts like a lot of influence over these people. And and you can see you can see like the language he uses and like that originates in. Uh, Davos and like the WEF, like the stuff that originates there does actually appear in the language and the sort of policy of governments and corporations around the world because um, it's all interconnected yeah so like <laughs> i don't know like how how he has this power this guy like i presume there's like some kind of thing going on where he invites these people out and then he sort of you know has these little spy cameras in the chalets or whatever <laughs> gets gets the dirt on them and then holds it over their heads yeah. or some shit like that. <laughs> that's Pretty much, my uh, guess that's, how it, that's how it operates. You know, I, and, I, I and watched the tour of him. Like I, I watched the him touring, like doing a tour video of the World Economic Forum. So it's like this really like scenic, like you know, modern office type building, like that mm. looks out onto this lake. It's like very like you know beautiful kind of and then, then inside it, in... there's 200 cameras <laughs> inside it's just like you know a lot of um i don't know who these people are to be honest <laughs> just like sort well, of rebrand of communism i guess yeah it, it, what it is is that it's a network of about 700 or 800 like companies and people and they all sort of collaborate and they come together yeah. at these sort of Davos group meetings and, and brainstorm, you know, what their what their um, strategies are going to be for the for the coming months. Yeah. But like, ultimately, you know, it's these elites that have decided in their own minds, hey, we, we hold so much power and so much influence over the world. We can dictate to people, you know, how they should live their lives. And what they fail to recognize is that, like, the systems that they plan to collapse are the only systems that they have that had any control over, like, what we were doing. So, like, the moment that they do collapse, like, uh, the internet or the infrastructure or whatever, you know, with it, they're powerful. So mm-hmm. it's like they, they're kind of cutting off their own nose to spite their face, in a sense. Well, I, I wouldn't... I think... I I don't subscribe to this idea personally that there's this like broad base where they're all on like perfect agreements or what have you and um like I don't think there's like this you know cabal that sort of organizes like every little aspect of society. I think there's probably something a lot more chaotic that's actually true. Um, but like regardless, anyway, like I want to like you know refocus this as an interview now and ask you personally like why do you think like you you've always had this like really strong interest in um this kind of stuff like the elites and you know politics and especially like the the sort of like interplay of politics and technology in particular you've always had like this really strong interest and i just want to 
ask you like why you know what what is it like what is it about this stuff that interests you so much i guess yeah so i was thinking about this actually this morning and i was thinking about like when i was a kid um especially like for the first like year or so of my life i was really sheltered i mm. I, I didn't go out all that much but like i feel like because of so that, the I first kind year of... or first years did you say first years all right i, thought I, I said I first year about... so i thought you throw them up when you were one so <laughs> sorry but, um yeah yeah uh, so my, like so what till what age do you, would you say you were sheltered in the sense uh probably about like two two and a half so um, you, you can remember I, being that young yeah I, I can remember being uh like my first memory is listening to music for the first well not for the first time but basically for the first time actually paying attention to it and listening in detail uh, and how old were you like, i think it was like uh year and a half maybe right okay and I can remember being on the floor with these massive headphones on. <laughs> um, yeah, like a lot but... of people can't remember even like as young as like seven or eight or even ten. Some people, but like I'm, I'm the same as you. I can like remember. I've got like a lot of memories of being a baby, and like my memory from like the age of three onwards is quite vivid. But yeah, yeah. Um... So, like, because of me being brought up kind of sheltered, like I kind of understood myself, and then I understood like the room that I was in and then I, I kind of like understood like the house that I was in and then the street that I was on. And I kind of like, I it, it, like branched outwards from there. And especially like when I was young, I, I feel like maybe my, my, my spirit or something was like a really antiquated one. But I, I remember specifically looking around at like cars and stuff and looking around at like televisions and thinking to myself, this is incredible. You know, like holy shit! Like we are, we are so advanced that we can actually achieve this. That this is actually possible. <laughs> Hold on. You thought this at the age of two and a half? No, there was probably about three or four when I when I thought this. <laughs> but right. I remember like three or four going out and and looking at cars and looking at like like buses and trains and stuff and just being like, "Wow, this is like really impressive." And I like I, I couldn't describe like. Like a young three, four year old me couldn't even begin to dis- like understand the complexity and the detail and the sheer amount of craft that goes into like finally tuning an engine or mm. setting up a, a, a cathode ray tube on a television or all these kinds of really intricate details that people have like mastered. And I think that is like the root of my, I wouldn't call it an obsession, I'd call it an appreciation because. All throughout life, we are surrounded by technology. And all the time, it goes unappreciated. You know, we don't actually think about the sheer astronomical developments in human understanding of these technologies that has gone into them being mass-produced and shipped around the world and given to everyone practically for free, you know? It's like... This could, there could be no other time other than now where this is possible, you know? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that stuff lately too, and just how like surreal it actually is. Uh, especially mm. that last part that you just said about, you know, how there's not been no other time like this. And I think in that sense, we're like really approaching like new aesthetic realities that have never occurred 
in time before. So, mm-hmm. like, it's quite um, bizarre and surreal. Like, we're there's been no really, historical like, record from our roots and stuff. Yeah, there's been no historical record of a of a civilization making it this far. Yeah, and just that's the, the thing espe- that's kind of especially relating it to this point about your sister earlier, like, you know. I think even you as well, like, you know, growing up with, you know, the internet and stuff that young. Um, but, like, if you look at, like, my generation, like, the internet, um, it it just didn't really, like, happen until, like, I was a teenager. So, um, I have got, got, like, that distinct early memory of, like, internetless world. And then, like, I remember you, you, you just brought up a memory for me. You've just brought up a, a memory that I had. Um, oh. I think it was when we were eight years old, and it was in my primary school, and we just got the library refurbished to be an IT room, and we got new uh, Dell Dimension XP uh, Windows XP machines, yeah. and we uh, like the first day back in year four was like your first experience on the internet, and I was like, I, I was like. Eight at the time, and I'd been on the internet for two years. And like all, all the other kids around <laughs> yeah. were looking at it, like, "Wow, this is so cool! I can search things on Google, and it gives me answers." <laughs> and I'm just like, "Shut up, kid! Let me show you how it's done." Newgrounds.com. <laughs> Newgrounds at the age. Yeah, legit. I, I I I used to like fucking show my uh, primary school classmates fucking uh, retarded animal babies after school <laughs> in the fucking yeah. library and shit we used to like stay back after class and we used to like just like browse new grounds so um, like, when when did you first get can I take a kick so when did you first get like the internet like in your own room six so like you you had the home computer in your bedroom from the age of six with like full access yeah. to the internet yeah well what you like have to understand is that we were living in a flat at the time Right. And it was me, my dad, and my mom. Um, but there was only one bedroom, and the living room was really right, tiny. Right. The kitchen was microscopic. The bathroom barely existed, and then the bedroom we had a double bed and a single bed pushed up against each other because there was literally no other <laughs> space to put anything. Yeah, the room was like just the definition of cramped, but we made it work. Yeah, yeah. and because there was nowhere else to put the computer, it went in the bedroom, and so. Most of the time, I would spend just, like, sitting in front of the computer, even from an early age, you know, and I'd literally just go around and I'd be like, I remember, I'm bringing up a lot of childhood memories today, but I had, like, I remember, like, being four and um, experiencing, like, just, like, the sort of variety of stuff that a computer could do, because until I was, like, three or four, I was kind of, like, put in the playpen. I was given like uh, activity centers and like I had like a like a CD uh like case and I was only allowed to use like those specific CDs and it'd be like you know narrated books and um mm. activity centers for kids you know you know like the kind of stuff you you'd give to a kid yeah. but then I remember like one day I was I was closing out of like I think it was like Teletubbies or something I was closing out of it and I was going to put another CD in and I was like hang on a minute what else can this do and I remember just like clicking the start button for the first time and just going to programs and just looking and just seeing like everything that was available. And I was like, holy shit, 
okay. I didn't know it could do all this. And then I think like two hours later, I kind of broke the computer. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like three years old and I was unsupervised. And I was just like clicking and dragging shit. Like it was like <laughs> yeah, Windows yeah. 95 as well. So it was like no protection on it or nothing. I, I, I think like, <laughs> fucked it but <laughs> from that day on i was like holy shit i didn't know that i was capable of this much and i think ultimately that's what uh these devices give you know is they give this sort of sense of empowerment to everyone you know mm. where people feel like because they can control this device and manipulate it to do whatever they want in in that sense they've got a kind of a, a, a godlike control over some aspect of the world you know, because they can manipulate this device however. But in reality, what people are discovering more and more is it's not just how you can manipulate this device, it's how you can manipulate other devices. And, like, that could be via social interaction, that could be via nefarious means, that could be via governmental control. And I think that only now are people really beginning to understand the sort of relation between someone's um sort of technological way of expressing themselves their their fount of creativity be it a smartphone a tablet a computer whatever and their sort of value as a person hmm. you know so many people's lives are tied up with their sort of digital twin and their sort of idea of who they are online sort of yeah. meshes and also defines who they are in the real world and there's like there's no separation there but i think only now are people actually beginning to understand that like a lot of people have just kind of slept walked into it like they just kind of yeah. they just kind of gave all their information to facebook they gave all their information to google not thinking what would be the ramifications of that 5 10 years down the line when everyone they know is on messenger and they've got a work whatsapp group and fucking Rachel from accounting just posted a dome that you saw on Reddit four hours ago and wasn't even that funny. Um, you know. No, like, um, that, that is... I've been, like, really fascinated by that for years now, too. And that's, like, part of the whole philosophy of Flap, actually, going back to that, was all about that stuff. It was about how we have sort of crossed that threshold now and we've got to sort of, like, evolve and, you know, we're entering this sort of like transhumanist age where we're like part you know like part um physical part virtual so we do have like you know like you 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 brought up the phrase digital twin there which you can talk about in a second i think like um this is what's really interesting about klaus schwab and the world economic forum actually like klaus schwab you know like you can criticize him and everything but like he is actually a sort of futurist a visionary yeah, like he is a visionary and a futurist and he asks like certain philosophical questions and then answers them about the nature of like capitalism and the future and technology and stuff and like his his answers are the things that we see like rolling out now, especially with like crypto and web free and stuff. Like a lot of that a lot of that is like what Klaus Schwab advocates. Because, like his his um his like basic like thing is is something he calls stakeholder capitalism which is sort of mm -hmm. like this idea of returning to a time where um the sort of like the the sort of like lesser members of a corporation and um the people that it works for and such have more of a say rather than just like 
ra- rather than like the situation we have now where it's sort of like um Milton Friedman. Whoever holds the share in the company. Yeah, like where it's like not about you know, like the core philosophy today is about um you know, uh, making as much profit as possible. Like Klaus Schwab actually advocates something a bit more sort of socialist in a way. Um hmm. in that re- in that regard. And like part of his answer to creating that situation is this sort of like advance into web free and NFTs and crypto hmm. and such because it it sort of like bonds people in a way where they're like virtual like digital twin as you called it like the virtual persona it is tied to their physical body in a sense and it's sort of like inescapable now so you can't like mm. you can't really unwrap it as easily as you could have like 20 years ago you know well like mm. what was the internet like 20 years ago you'd like log on go on like an aol chat with an anonymous name to say some stupid shit and then sign off and you could just like do the same you could like delete your account and make a new one and do it again and there's still that sort of like idea of the internet that exists in the internet today mm. like you can you know you can still sort of make an anonymous twitter account and sort of make anonymous posts um and well such. you have to sign up with your like your mobile phone number yeah that's like, that's it yeah, yeah like uh, that's why i say sort of it's kind of like actually really impossible and difficult to actually do that <laughs> there's still like some traces unless you go on. through burner phones all the time as well yeah even even then though like <laughs> it's a fucking nightmare yeah e- even if you did that like um just still you know so so yeah like we're, we're in this sort of like crossover period of what the internet actually is where we mm. do you know it we do have these virtual identities that are tied to our physical bodies and like that that's like you know there's like a lot of like big questions to ask and answer about that that are quite intense. Um but like I, I think like I think like I think like you in particular sort of embody embody this because like you know, you've grown up on the internet since the age of six or whatever. You've made your career on the internet. Uh your your whole like livelihood relies on the internet now, as does mine. So like you know we're we're both similar in that regard, um, so like you know maybe part of this like idealization of you know because when you say the word digital twin like you say it in a negative sense, but like maybe maybe it's like there's this romanticization of like you know anonymity and like pre web two days and such. Um, maybe just because that was the childhood that you grew up in and such, and now you know. I don't. I don't. I... The only thing that's consistent is that everything changes. Yeah, I am more concerned, to be honest, about what's coming down the tracks, because a lot of people have kind of accepted this uh, life of being sort of, you know, having the digital twin and going along with the whole idea that part of your existence as a person is connected to the internet yeah. now but, y- but um, you have as well that's the thing yeah yeah, yeah. I- i'm not immune to this I-, I can only point out yeah like what i can observe and what i'm observing is that people seem to be fine with going along with this idea um now 
the problem think, you know with you that, know you know why it's fine though um because like here's the thing like when you have a truly free choice like it's only like in this world like to have a truly free choice in many regards you just need money so you know if you were a billionaire you know you wouldn't need there would be no need for a digital twin as such. There'd be no need for your virtual sort of like persona because um, you wouldn't be relying on it for money and such. So you could, you know, you could call the shots in that regard. So it's like people are, sa- I think rather than saying it's like because it's fine, it's rather because like you have to do it in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's become kind of mandatory. Yeah, yeah, because like that, it is like the new. It is where the economy is going. Like digital economy is pretty much gonna overtake the entire world economy. Like in this decade, I think. Um, like mm-hmm. Klaus Schwab points this out in one of his books, actually. How he says like we have no way to estimate how much the value of like digital content actually is, and it could be like a, a lot larger than we actually expect it to be. So like the the there's this sort of like behemoth underneath like the capitalist system of like digital content that grows every day, and its value can be like sort of extrapolated and you know mined in a sense over time, and will pretty much become, I think, like more valuable than you know the physical world economy, including like energy and food and what have you. So that that I, I was sort of seeing like the really absurd beginnings of that now with like NFTs and like you know Justin Bieber just bought a board ape NFT today for like I don't know how much like one point five million dollars or some shit like that. <laughs> but that that sort of like plays into this point about how, what Klaus Schwab brings up in his book about how you know we don't really know what the actual value of the digital economy is and he he. He says, as I, as I just said, like you know, it's probably a lot larger than what we actually expect. So, but don't you see how Klaus Schwab, through his connections and through his relations with big companies and corporations, has accelerated these ideals? Yeah. Through his sort of directives. Yeah. Like yeah, I, I think like, I, I think I feel that, like that this... is true. Yeah, and like I actually. I think Jack Dorsey's tweet saying the World Economic Forum is not as useful as it could be. Um, I think he was just bullshit, and I think it actually is quite influential because, as I pointed out earlier, like you see that exact language coming out of the WEF and Klaus Schwab, like you know, like that Build Back Better. That is that is mm-hmm. Klaus Schwab. Like every like every major politician. You know, same for Great Reset. Phrase. It's literally like their doctrine. Right, yeah. it, it's yeah. their words yeah. they've invented. <laughs> I yeah. think that that's the really scary part is that like everyone in unison came out and started saying the same catchphrases, the same mantras, mm-hmm. and then you have Klaus Schwab on video admitting that he like um, intercepts and you know infiltrates people's governments. <laughs> yeah. And um, the real problem is that like especially now we are like feeling the effects of the world economic forum every day you know these, these but we uh, we advance uh, like both of us advance the agenda by you know yeah. just <coughs> by um um you know by 
you know doing by participating in it we yeah can do yeah it. like and that that's the thing it's like you know how do you stop capitalism you can't really there's no you don't stop it you just sort of either like stand against it and you know let the tsunami come over you or you like try and surf the wave basically and that's the that's the thing there's like no third option you can't like you can't like freeze it with ice or something like that you can't subvert capitalism because at some point you're gonna have to buy something yeah so so like that i think you know in effect that's what like klaus schwab as a sort of more i I don't even want to call him like a sort of like socialist or communist or whatever because i think he's got like different ideas yeah he's definitely a futurist (laughs) well not not a futurist in like the old sense of the term but you know future a futurologist let's say um, yeah, I, I guess that's how you could put it. But um, I think that definitely, like this moment that we're in, though, kind of been like artificially uh, made to happen. You know, it, it's like the, the the plans for this time period and the plans for this sort of weird uh, hybrid existence that we find ourselves in. You know, these were these these ideas of how we live our lives today were written about by some billionaire 20, 30 years ago, you know, and the the effect of influence that, you know, just just like having the right people and having the right connections and how that can trickle down and change the lives of millions. Yeah. You know, that is probably the most substantial display of power that has ever happened and you know so you think klaus schwab's the most powerful man in history no doubt and the the (laughs) thing that's really scary about klaus schwab's power is how good he's gotten at disguising it like he has become an absolute wizard at cloaking you know who works for him who doesn't who has those connections who's you know working together behind the scenes and who's like an outsider you know, and I feel like a lot of people have been caught off guard by this kind of sweeping wave of change that sort of washed over everyone yeah. since this pandemic started. You know, people people are still trying to figure out which way is up. And I'm seeing that the, the second wave of um, cyber polygon and these sort of supply chain attacks, you know, looming on the horizon. And everyone still is still trying to figure out whether they're going to wear a fucking face mask or not. <laughs> you know, it's like, shit. What, how, what, how what fucking... do you mean by supply chain attack? Well, Cyber Polygon, it doesn't just talk about um Wait, can you can you like define what Cyber Polygon is fully? Because uh like sure. I don't even so, know fully what you mean by that. So Cyber Polygon was a, a war it wasn't like a, a it was a what's the they have a specific phrase for it. When when they trial was that like something. a UM document, wasn't it, or something? Or yeah, there was it, 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 it a like joint exercise. That's what it was. Oh, joint right. exercise. It was a joint exercise between the World Economic Forum, the UN, and I think about 20, 30 corporations. And it was basically uh, an operation to see, like, what would the economic effects be of a worldwide internet shutdown? How would um, the supply chain manage? How Mm. would corporations manage? How would um, news media manage? And all these kinds of things. they, they, They simulate these joint exercises ahead of time so that when it actually happens, they have like a blueprint for how they're going to present themselves. And they, they, they do these kinds of very in-depth simulations based off of, you know, 
how they expect people to react. And with Cyber Polygon, they, they talk not just about shutting off the internet, shutting off common access, you know, Web 2.0, Web 3.0, what have you. They also talk about shutting off, like, the, the infrastructure behind, you know, everything else. Because quite a lot of our, our commerce is online now, too. Quite a lot of it is, you know, e-commerce and, and digital. So, like, like, think about if Amazon went offline for 24 hours and you couldn't order, and no one across the world could order anything from Amazon. But for just 24 hours, like that, that would be a, a multi-billion dollar impact on the economy. Yeah. And then you think about how that extends out um, when you're talking about like weeks or months, you know, it, it, it gets absolutely parabolic. Now, what I, I, I need to stress is that this is simply a joint exercise. This is something that they've planned out in a, in a you know, a room with you know big computers and they've all kind of like got their notepads out and planned it out. The the reason why I bring attention to it, however, is these joint exercises are usually what happen before they actually roll it out. Like the COVID nineteen pandemic, a few months before it all started, they had a joint exercise planning what to do in the event of a global viral outbreak, you know? So they, they wouldn't have these these joint exercises planning these things in such immense detail if there wasn't some kind of inkling behind the scenes to go in that direction in the first place, you know? Well, just to, like, play devil's advocate or whatever, let's say, like, in the event of the COVID one that you brought up, that could just be a coincidence, basically, because... Um, you know, there's always been this anticipation of such a virus um, rolling out. So there's bound to be, you know, um, people and groups and such trying to come up with, like, preventative measures and things of that nature. So, you know, th that is, you know, going to be the case. Um, and then, you know, like, what, what? so what's, like, the, you know... What's the reason why you do such a thing, like come up with like these concepts or what have you? It's because on the on the at least on the surface it would be to, you know to test what would actually happen as you say. But um so 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 you are more like conspiratorial about it and you think that it's actually a sort of power grab in a sense. Well, yeah, I mean, like, all you have to do is look at the sort of ramifications of this planned operation to see yeah. how it's all been played out, you know? The the richest companies have, like, tripled their wealth. All the richest people have, like, you know, doubled. Um, Apple's three trillion stock value. Um, you know, and when you look at these, these documents that have been planned out months in advance, literally some of them some of the governments down to the exact wording of their social media posts had it taken exactly from the war document so it's 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 one of those things where they they kind of have already revealed their their plan but they're just saying oh it, it it's just a hypothetical well it's you know we we it, it's just a what if you know yeah. and then when they actually do it then they can hide behind the 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 the, oh, it was just a coincidence. Oh, you know, there's no connection there. But then in reality, when you look at that, it's like they, as part of their planning, they planned out how to 
maximize their profit and their gain off of the disaster. And this is uh, this goes back to how America has run their government since the 90s with disaster capitalism and how to keep capitalism rolling uh, to keep the you know war machine rolling they just create bigger and bigger artificial disasters so as to prop up the economy and then on top of that um, you've got to think about Bill Gates because not only has Bill Gates tripled his wealth he's you know bought most of the farmland he works very closely with BlackRock you know consolidating a lot of the earth's assets and like rare earth minerals and stuff and all these connections that people have can influence it's literally influencing the entire world at this point now i was watching a video about uh how bill gates has maximized his wealth basically and i realized that he's you know because he had the idea from the pre-planning of how to uh, maximize his profit, then when it actually happened, all he had to do was set those plans in motion and he made bank, you know? So it wasn't like it was... If he was caught off guard by it, he would not have made the money that he has. But because he has gone away and pre-planned and... It's premeditated. You know, he's 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 planned it yeah, out. It reminds me he's of come up um, with a concept. It, re- it reminds me of like you know when COVID was first emerging in like the end of twenty nineteen and beginning of twenty twenty, like after right after the World Economic Forum meet up in January of twenty twenty, like loads of um, CEOs resigned from their positions and there was a big sell. I remember like Jeff Bezos sold loads of stock and stuff because they were all anticipating mm-hmm. that crash coming. Um, and what was it, March or April or whatever? <laughs> and um, so yeah, like there was like the knowledge, like definitely, like you can look at those events and say, yeah, there was like a certain knowledge of COVID going on at that time amongst like the elite people that was sort of not being fully reported in the news. Although you know it was reported in like the alternative news and stuff, so like people like you and I were you know, clued upon it by then. Um mm-hmm. but you know, most people most people don't like <laughs> most people yeah, most still, people still believe just... like even even if like they sort of say like I don't trust the media, they still do. Like they they yeah. do still like see like the media thing. as like authority. Because they, they mm-hmm. want like I think like most people want a sense of like authority, like that they're safe and people are like watching yeah. out for them and stuff, but actually you know the mainstream media aren't really doing that. <laughs> yeah, they're waiting for their, their 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 shareholders and their stakeholders. It's 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 you know it's it's all just become uh, ridiculous at this point. But the thing is, is that because it's so ridiculous, people are aware of it. And I was saying, I've been saying this for the last few weeks. I've been saying it practically every day. There's no putting the genie back in the bottle now, because the people what, what are aware of the world. I mean, this <laughs> kind of yeah, this this, this kind <laughs> of background shocked. globalist cabal that everyone you know, right. kind of like um, hypothetically knew that existed, so but didn't actually you, what, what you know do you have mean any concrete when evidence. Gl- when you say globalist, then I like, mean, can you define what you Bilderberg, mean Davos Group. Um, so who, who all are these... the globalists? 
Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, CEO of BlackRock, the CEO of Lockheed Martin, um, Mark Zuckerberg. So do you not think anyone... that they have? So, so you think like these sort of like elite, like you know, not not even upper class, like way above upper class, like some yeah you know, sort of like. There's no other word to describe them other mega, than elite, mega ultra class or whatever. So you think these people are all on the dimension? <laughs> well, that's the not quite. I'm not quite like Nietzsche's idea of um, Uber mention, I think, but um, I, maybe some of them see themselves that way. But um, do you like? Do you think all of these people sort of have a certain mutual interest that they cooperate around them? Most definitely, most definitely. And it's these. Would you go uh... as far as to say that there was like some sort of cult that they belonged to, or would um, you like? Well, not... they... I, I wouldn't call it a cult. I'd I'd just say it's like it's almost like predictably the end result of capitalism. And I don't mean that in a sort of sense of like trying to rag on capitalism or nothing. I mean that in the sense of like, of course, in a capitalist society, people are gonna collaborate and work together to try and maximize their profits, right? So in a sense, the Schwabian ethos of getting the richest people in the world and getting them all to work together to try and maximize their profits, that's, like, just the natural conclusion well, that, that's of where the thing. capitalism like, goes. Schwab, Schwab isn't arguing for, like, maximizing profits, at least not publicly. Like, his public mm. message is the idea of, like, using capitalism to improve the lives of everyone by, you know... He, he uses this phrase, stakeholder capitalism, so... He would define a stakeholder as, say, like, it, say, like in Amazon, a stakeholder would be anyone from like Jeff Bezos to a delivery driver for Amazon to a user of the actual like website. So a- anyone like involved in that process. So pretty much like everyone, really. Um, and like his idea is that we go to this idea where like there's on, essentially on board members, there's more. You know, like equity is the buzzword of the moment. So, like more equity and equality and so forth. So it's just sort of like you know, you know the way like you see like a lot of corporations pushing sort of like left wing messages these days. That's sort of like the essence of what you know Schwab is talking about. Mm-hmm. Also, like the manifestation of that stuff. Um, it's all collaboratory. That's the so, scary so, part. Yeah, so, but... so you basically think like there's a sort of collaboration going on between... Because like, you could look at someone like Elon Musk, right, and Tesla and SpaceX and such, and that he actually doesn't really do that type of thing at all. Mm-hmm. So like, what would you say about someone like him compared to you know these other types, like Bill Gates or whatever? Um, I think that... like. It's kind of scary that they their their true motives are still like concealed even to this day, uh. because it's like you know no one knows like what the true motive of the World Economic Forum is outside of like what they claim, but what they claim and what the the, the result of their action actually is is like staunchly different. You know they they claim that they want to help the world and you know lift everyone up, but yeah at the same time you know like um, 40 million people have died in excess because of the lockdown. 
You know, that lockdown was enforced by World Economic Forum policy. So it's it's like they, they, they claim they want this support, but well, at the so same the time, their policy stuff. You're saying the COVID stuff came out of the WEF? Yeah, it came out of these pre-planned operations, uh, Agenda 21 and the sort, where they, they had these kinds of ideas of what they were going to do hypothetically, and then all they had to do when it actually happened was just execute those plans. But the, the thing um, is, though, like, every nation has done something quite different, I think. So I don't think there is, like, a consistent, like, plan in that regard. Like, Sweden yeah, I... have done, like, you know, they... Like, Sweden's model for COVID was basically don't do anything. And, you know, that's the one that sort of succeeded the most compared to, like, you know, Yeah, like Sweden was the control group. <laughs> but like then, but then like you had like Australia, the exact opposite, who you know, almost mm. like Nazi-ish, basically. And then you had like the UK, which was sort of in between the two of those. So there's not really, mm. I don't think there's any consistent, you know, like plan, really. So no, I, I, I don't I mean, agree with that. Actually, I don't think there is a sort of. I'll at least, put it not, at least not in the at least not on COVID. I don't see any like specific like. Um, agreements between all these nations at all on COVID. Mm. Maybe in, in regards to the other stuff, like, I don't know. Just, like, look at it this way. It's more so than, like, countries. It's more corporations. Like, if you look at how corporations talk about COVID and how the kind of rollout of their message and what their opinion is... um then that's where the consistency is. It's not so much in country to country because country to country, you know, they have different parliamentary systems, different ministries and different rules that they have to abide by in those countries. Uh, but corporations, corporations are very still, the, the legislation around them is still kind of lax. Um, so, you know, a lot of collaboration that is somewhat, I guess you could call it unsolicited, is allowed to take place. Um, and that's where the real ruse is. So let, let me like rewind all the way back. So I think we got distracted and on a certain aspect of this one question I asked. I think I've yeah. only asked you like sorry. one question. No, no, don't say sorry. I just mean like I want to come all the way back now. So I asked you okay. like, what is it about? What is it about this specific like interplay of like technology and politics and stuff that you? Are like specifically interested and you answered that by saying you know you had this like appreciation of like the technological world and stuff from a young age and obviously you grew up on the internet and all that stuff so mm -hmm. but what is it about like what exactly is it like you're really drawn to this idea of like a conspiracy of like elitists and such like what is it about that that really like moves you like do you feel personally like um let's say if we def like like let's would you so would you say like these people like corrupt and such and uh, um tyrannical i guess you did use the word tyrants didn't you earlier so yeah so, it's, like, it's, would it's, you it's... say like the tyranny has an effect on you and that angers you in some manner yeah I, I feel like the way that it works is like if you could imagine um the class system with the richest at the top and the poorest yeah. at the bottom as like the length of a rope or like a whip and just a little flick of the wrist at the highest point at the, at the beginning has this massive 
ripple effect that intensifies and compounds as it goes down until at the end of the whip, you know, the actual thrash of the tail is where it's at its strongest, you know? Um, in much the same way, when a group of billionaires collaborate and decide they're going to influence world policy in collusion, then the knock-on effect for the most vulnerable members in society is mostly just like magnified more than anything you know and these these billionaires they get this idea in their head of what they think will be best and then the reality is so different it's like why can't they just leave people to leave their own lives and you know experience their own realities it's like every part of reality has become almost like enforced and structured and not even like real and it's just really fucked up in my opinion <laughs> so would you call yourself yeah. an anti-capitalist no i won't call myself an anti-capitalist it, it, it's not so like i don't have a gripe with the capitalist system at all i mean you know jeff bezos bill gates and the rest of them sure they've worked in collusion to achieve their wealth but at the end of the day all they've done is play a corrupt system to the extent that they know best so that's not really uh do you hate the player or do you hate the game? You know, that's 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 <laughs> yeah. really the question that you ask. Yes, um, I, I, that's what I'm asking you. Like, you know, uh, don't hate I the think player, that... don't hate the game. Is that is that the case? Yeah, I think that. Hmm, that's 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 an interesting point. Um, let me just meditate on this for a second because that's actually quite that's actually quite interesting. Yeah, because like this is my point. Like, people who are anti-capitalist, right? A lot of people blame the capitalist themselves you know they'll point to mm. you know the elite or whatever the rich the ultra rich and say you know mm -hmm. it's your fault it's your fault why don't you have more of a conscience or what have you but actually like yeah it is the system itself that manifests that sort of thing so mm -hmm. if it wasn't them it'd be someone else because it is the system that sort of demands like this this is another thing that bothers me about like anti-capitalists is that they say like this is like some effect of you know colonialism and then industrialization and such but actually it, it yeah. sort of begins earlier than that it begins in you know um the sort of like translation of value with numbers so going you know as far back as possible in history like capitalism yeah. would become inevitable once mm. you know like it like like globalization is isn't what causes capitalism like ca globalization is caused by you know capitalism's demand for greater um, infinite power and growth and such and like that that is it's that sort of like infinite that capitalism demands as a sort of concept and mm. like numbers demand that sort of manifests all of this in a strange way so like we're seeing like in my, that's how i see it. like i see you know what is like infinite and i guess it's it, coming into like this idea of like nothingness and such too like it's this manifestation of nothingness into the world
and like in all of its like abstract and surreal ways, and mm-hmm. the sort of like the dam the dam has broken in that regard now. So, you know, you it does, like if even if like you know Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and all these people and you know the Rothschilds or whatever gave away all their wealth, what would actually happen? There would be a you know a big fumble and a big mix up of things. Yeah, there'd still be like a first. corrupt system underneath it. So yeah, it's like because the because the, of... the, the the very essence of the system is like this translation of like value of things with numbers. Uh, mm. You know, it starts with like coins or what have you, but then you know numbers get sort of removed from coins and become like this abstract and digital thing and so forth. And it's like this intersubjective agreement that you know two plus two equals four or whatever. So. Here's a hypothetical for you. What if we, instead of measuring sort of success as a person in like, you know, how much wealth you can accrue over your lifetime, what if we instead like use a different metric for measuring success? You know, what if it was instead of it being a currency, it was like um, your impact on the world or whatever. Do you think that that'd solve the issue or do you think it'd just come up with like more problems? Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, you can identify it as you know, what is the case, and then, like, do you, you decide from there, is this an issue or not, and let's say if you do, like, think that this is an issue, then, you know, you can offer potential solutions, but how how would you actually, like, manifest them in reality? Yeah, and I feel like that's that's part of the thing with Klaus Schwab having that sphere of influence. You know, he he can manifest this reality because of the position that he's in. And yeah. so, like, um, one, one I feel thing like Klaus Schwab does right is I would say he isn't as idealistic as, um, this is why I wouldn't call him like a communist or whatever, he's not as idealistic as like a communist would be, even though he's got like, yeah, he's he's quite realistic about things, but the the real thing is that, um, he has that kind of connection to manifest whatever he idealizes and in that, a very sort yeah. of realistic way. Yeah, you know, so like people, that, that so like what is concepts. Yeah, so what is realism in that regard? It's like accepting that capitalism is the case and then sort of like merging into it in a way and then like essentially conducting it in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like a conductor or a you know Yeah. Um, I th- that's that's what Klaus Schwab's job title should be. He should just be con- classified as a conductor. <laughs> that's what he does. He, he conducts it, instead like, of conducting it, what... an orchestra. He conducts he conducts business. But if if you yourself have like some qualms with this system and you think you can change it, then um, are you not just rather the same as Klaus Schwab in that regard? Yeah, you're just a Schwabian by a different name at that point. <laughs> or do you, yeah. you know, do you just go along with it and accept it as it is? And then ah, yeah, that's that's. I I personally um, think that a lot of people need to think most of the the thing that people need to most deeply contemplate is the relation of these systems that have been set up for people and like their own independence. So like. At what point do you stop and this sort of virtual manifest of you based off of your like past actions and your reputation, 
you know, where does that be? Where does where does you, where do you start and where does this stop? You know, yeah. drawing that line and sort of understanding. Okay, I I'm doing this because I want to do it, or I'm doing this because it has been enforced upon me by some sort of like um, idea of what I should be or idea that someone wants me to be. Yeah. You know, so the like I the think having like the um the virtual and physical worlds. I mean, like vir- virtual world is physical. I don't know what's a what's a better way to put it. I don't know virtual and real world or whatever. The virtual world Sorry, and real worlds are sort of like merging more and more by the day. Like I went out for a walk mm-hmm. this evening and I was listening to a a wrestling podcast. So you know, I'm listening to like some vir- I'm I'm in like virtual reality just by walking on the street with headphones on. Like I'm seeing the physical yeah. world, but I'm hearing a virtual world that doesn't exist around me physically. But it does, like, well, I mean, it does in the headphone in the sense of the headphones, but it doesn't exist in like the outer, you know, real world as such. I get you. I get you. So I'm hearing a world that isn't actually the one that I'm walking in as such. So, so there is this like blend of the two things, and. You know, mm-hmm. like just just as someone else is listening to this right now, it's the same thing. So, um, yeah, and the, that that blend only keeps increasing year on year, and it will keep increasing because, you know, as we pointed out earlier, like that is the new world economy. That is how things are going to be moving. So, um, so in that regard, like. You know, what one thing I also did earlier is I just like stopped walking for a while and I just like looked at the scenery and I turned my headphones off just to, you know, mm. take in reality in full. <laughs> and it's kind of like absurd that you have to actually like force yourself to do that. But I guess that's what you're pointing out, isn't it? You know, that you need. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the real problem that we have in today's society is that like, we we don't know where that line is. We haven't even like thought about it. We've just kind of accepted these ideas of, yeah. you know, okay, we just like live in this you know moment where we just kind of they're just they're just merged with no real explanation or thought behind it. And really, what we need to think about is where does where where are those lines, you yeah. know? Because what, we don't what... even we don't even stop to consider it. What are you, what are you doing right saying. now with your keyboard? Like you, it's like you're in some virtual, like playing a video game world or something right now. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you yeah, I'm, doing? I'm in. I'm in a. I'm sorry. I was just like um, moving some stuff around on the magazine. I was just. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I thought yeah. you were playing one of those web games that you play sometimes, which would have been. Like no, no, no. Fun. I was just. Like, yeah. that's a, like, in a know... virtual world while talking about virtual yeah exactly worlds. yeah yeah <laughs> well you sort of are actually cause you're in the virtual world of you know creating the magazine this call is a, yeah this calls a virtual world the the magazine creation you know you're not like so what is the real world in that sense like yeah it's you know th- this is this would be a ridiculous question 20 years ago because of course the real world is what's here but at this point the real world has been influenced by the virtual and the artificial yeah. so many times it's like is there even a is there even a line to draw and like i've just been trying to wrap my head around this for like the past month is like of course i'm real i'm a human being of course this is real this desk in front of me this keyboard this screen but like even then you know probably the the, the 
company that manufactures my screen ran it as some kind of corporate bullshit where they had to manufacture it a certain way. So even then, you know, even then at that point, the, the virtual is influencing the real. So it's it's it becomes so um, hard to draw the line. And I guess this is like one thing I've realized this month is that absolute reality is just like a total myth. What do you mean by absolute reality? Well, I used to think when I was younger that like there was a a sort of concrete sense of what was real and that like there was a definite sort of like, you know, a a sort of physical interaction. You know, it's like because this because me and this object exist in the same physical space together and I am real. Therefore, this object must be real. You know, and and I used to define that as sort of like absolute and concrete and like irrefutable evidence for the nature of existence. And nowadays, the way I view it is like our reality is so much conflated by stuff that, you know, has never actually physically existed. It's just been words on a screen or an email sent or some words said it can it can be the memory of what someone said 20 30 years ago that influences someone's behavior in the present you know so many people they carry around what their parents expect of them or what their family expects of them or you know anything like that and really like that's that 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 kind of fell apart you know that, that that concept of artificial reality and concrete reality that just fell apart so yeah. that's where I've been at with wrapping my head around shit. Yeah, and yeah. it's that's like that's been quite a lot for me to take in personally because I always had this idea of like the the uh you know ta- techno capitalist world in essence. That's what we're dealing with like philosophically now. Mm-hmm. So that's it's, the it's, thing. It's, it's... it's like, you know, you can either resist it, but how do you actually resist it? Do you just unplug from the economy? Like do you unplug from <laughs> the world because like that's what unplug would mean like you know you could it's easy to say oh i'm not going to use the internet if it was like fucking 2005 but like you can't say it in today's world when you have to use it because you need to make a living you know if like the the connection between you eating to survive and being online is like you know quite direct at this point so, um, mm. you know, it's not it's not even Dave, just it... making a living. It's also, you know, like all your money, you know, your online banking, um, what, what you know, you're ordering things off the Internet, all this stuff. It's like all, all connected to this like virtual state. Um, and the, the, the thing is, like the, this virtual state is in a sense physical, like, you know, it's made up of physical like computer chips and what have you. So it is. It, you know, it's not like some dream, like metaphysical world. It's still like, in in essence, physical. You know, to hear this podcast, you need to have like a, a pair of speakers or headphones, um, and a working internet connection and an understanding of how websites work. Yeah, so it is physical, but it's like what what it is. It's like the nature of what is physical is being transformed into this like new, unlike. It's it's something that can't be reversed unless yeah. there was like a cataclysmic you know, event where like all electronics were destroyed. Um but like, you know, how like would that happen? Like a solar flare hitting the earth or something. Yeah, and like if that happened, you know, it would wipe out 
Cause, because all like physical lives are so connected to it now. Like, you know, the internet could have maybe gone down in like the early 90s and we'd be okay. But, you know, if it went down today, you know, there'd be like crisis on Earth. Probably like nuclear Absolutely. reactors would blow up and shit like that. I don't know. I can't yeah. even. I don't even. I don't even know what the effects would be, but I'm pretty certain that they'd be like devastating to all life on Earth. So, and um, that's like ultimately what I what I want to touch on is like we live in the idea of an idea of a concept of an idea of something <laughs> someone said. You know, like yeah. the, the the only reason why we have ended up in this position is via just this bizarre like weave of unrealistic concepts and unfathomable ideas just mm. happening to come to someone's head who happened to have the right connections yeah. who happened to have the power you know to make it happen and yeah. and so much of like life is dictated to people you know and... yeah i think that's always going to be the case though because like yeah you know, you can't. I, I I don't have a problem with that. The the, the only the only question I, I have to ask people who are listening is if that's true, and so much of life is, you know, determined by these external factors. What is it about your life that's like truly independent? Because I feel like more so than creativity, more so than um like work ethic. I think having that independent space where it's like in this zone i create the shit i have the influence i decide what happens and what doesn't having that sort of spot where you can sort of just be like okay whatever happens in this space is my doing and no one else outside freedom. of me is affecting it yeah well it's it, it's not like so much freedom because freedom when you say freedom freedom like people get this broad sense of freedom as in like absolute freedom I am more talking about, like, we're all enslaved, massively so. I'm talking about finding the small sort of pockets of liberty and the small sort of spaces where you are free to yeah, create so, and yeah. express within this sort of Gilgamesh of a system. Yes, yeah, so like freedom, so freedom is always relative in that sense. You know, you, you have, say, like, if you if you catch, like, a bug in a glass or whatever you have a certain freedom over that bug because you've got control of the glass whereas the the bug you know has no freedom because like it's completely you know at your mercy like whether you let the bug out of the glass or whether you you know let it suffocate so you yeah. have freedom is like power in that sense so like to have you know that sort of artistic freedom would be to have like power of a certain space to be able to, you know, make the decisions that you want to make and so forth. Mm. And that, that, that sort of, like, yearning for freedom is, like, inherent to, like, some people, but not all people, I think. Like, a lot of people, yeah. like, talking about, you know, like how we brought up earlier about how, like, a lot of people still sort of instinctively trust the mainstream media as authority. It's because, like, most people, like, sort of yearn for, like, an authority to tell them what's true, essentially. Um, but I, I actually want to just bring over some other points up here, right? Like, you said, um, you know, it's like all these, like, concepts built upon concepts upon concepts and so forth. And, like, 
that sort of relates to this idea that I brought up earlier about how, like, capitalism, in essence, is a manifestation of, like, applying numbers to things. Like, tr mm -hmm. trying to translate things with numbers. Because in numbers, like, when you've got 2 plus 2 equals 4 and everything that extrapolates from that, like, maths, you eventually have the number 0. And in that, like, zero-ness is what is what I think like all of this manifests out of. So the, but the 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 thing is like two plus two equals four isn't like some objective, like defining fact of reality. It's actually like an intersubjective like agreement between people, because it's sort of like a practical truth. So, the number like one doesn't actually translate anything in reality. There's no like one thing, because like. If you point to something like an object, like um, even like yourself, like as an object, you would say like you're one human being. But then, yeah. like that's in that moment, you're one human being, and it, like a second later, you're not the same yeah. human being that you were just then. So you can't you're, actually you're one like human being. Yeah, but so you're made up of so many parts. And even if you, like, take that as a whole and you define yourself as, like, I am this person, but I'm not, you know, you're not me or whatever, so there's a way to, like, define one another, it's still only, like, yeah. a practical and, like, local truth and intersubjective truth because the thing that is you has already changed by the time you've identified yourself as that number one. So there is, mm. there is actually no number one because, like everything's fluid in time there's no like inert object that you can actually point to like inertia isn't a quality that actually exists anywhere because everything's always moving in time you know like everything everything is time in this sense yeah just let um, your dad finish stuff <laughs> yeah i appreciate that but no um I I think that you've got a very strong point there because people define themselves as, as singular and they have that individuality. Um but I think that like Yeah, and that, that you know that's the thing like that mind, that individuality and so forth, like individualism. Like, you know, what, what, what is money? Like, you know, if you've got like seven thousand pounds and I have like seven hundred thousand pounds. Then I have a hundred times the amount of money if, as you do, which means I have like a hundred times more spending power, which means I have a hundred times more, you know, p power, in and freedom and so forth. And like that, you yeah, know, you can't really like actually fully measure the nature of that, but you can like, you know, just like in the sense that it's like pr practically and pragmatically true that you can. So, um, so like, one that's the that's what I'm that that is the thing. Like, as soon as you apply numbers to things, like it will manifest that way because the idea of having more numbers is inherently going to give you more power. So the people who want more power are inherently going to, you know, try to find more numbers. Increase the numbers. <laughs> yeah, numbers. Yeah. yeah. So we live in a n numbers based um, society yeah 
even though numbers probably aren't true. Yeah. Well, let me let me tie this back to the conversation of freedom that I was having earlier, because I feel like um, that's personally where I've just found a lot of like refuge and sort of like spiritual sanctity is just been recognizing these these spaces where I'm free to, you know, like like the influence that happens as a result of my actions is, is dictated only by me. You know, yeah. uh, I feel like knowing that and having those spaces in a world that is this oppressive and is this, you know, limiting to people, it's, it, it's a godsend because it, it, it gives you a sort of space where even though your regular life is very much sort of dictated by external forces that you can't really predict, there's still that zone where you can have sort of just a clarity of thought and a pure expression, you know, where you... So what if you were a billionaire? Like, if you if woke up tomorrow bill- and there's, like, some glitch on your bank account and you could get away with it and you just had a billion pounds? Um... Like, what would you do? Would you feel a personal responsibility over the world or would you just, like, go and spend your money and do whatever you want? So I think the consequences. I think that I would probably do that for a time, and then um, the main thing that I'd have to do is work out the rate at which, because you know how like money sort of like compounds and you get like interest build up over time and everything just kind of like comes together. I think what I'd have to do is work out at what rate would I have to spend money. Let's to, say like, let's say you just had like let's just money. say you had like fifty billion. A billion like, flat. Fifty billion, okay. and like you just didn't have to worry about money, and you just had like an equivalent amount of power as someone like Musk and Bezos and so forth. Jesus. What would you do oh, in that word. situation? Oh my word! Um... Like, let's say if Evolve magazine blows up and because you know who is actually the richest person on Earth right now, it's not actually um, Bezos or Musk. It's um, I can't even remember his name, but he's like the owner of like some major fashion brands, like Gucci or something. I can't remember. Um... I think I know. But it's kind of funny, like how like. A fashion mogul is like the richest person on earth. It sort of says something kind of like ridiculous about this time in reality. Mm. <laughs> like yeah, no, I, I, clothes I, I, are like what is generating the most money right now. But yeah, that's, like, that's funny. What would, how you, it what would you do out. then, like, if you were in that situation? Just all um, of a sudden. I feel like I definitely have like a responsibility to try and you know make the world a better place but the thing is is that, so that, like, that that's what you know that's that's what like that's that then you're a schwabian yourself because that that is what the agenda is yeah <laughs> so you're a schwabian yeah, but yeah i'm a schwabian i'll, 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 <laughs> yeah. I'll confess to that because like the, ultimately... the the um you know if you go back a couple of decades to like the the neoliberal like ca- like capital 
pursuit or whatever, like Milton Friedman and so forth, like I brought up earlier. Like the idea was having a hands-off approach, essentially, like not caring about the consequences of your actions and just, um, you know, doing what makes the best profit because, um, you know, the idea was like whatever makes the best profit is whatever's best for society, essentially. That was the sort of ideology behind it. Now it's like, you know, cha- now it's changing because people sort of see... Uh, see through it. Yeah. So, I like, you know, that, that that's what, like, Schwab is offering, like, an alternative to that. I think, ultimately, where I differ is that most people, when they reach that sort of billionaire status, they focus on, okay, how can I set up, like, a foundation? How can I, like, donate to charitable causes? How can I sort of build new things? And I think more so than building new things, I think it's sort of old, established, corrupt uh, corporations and foundations in the first place that are sort of the source of all of this kind of negative influence that's felt throughout um, common folk. It's because um, there's this suppression from these foundations and societies that all collude and collaborate, that's what results in the suppression the, of what the, the grief. It's it's suppression of. Um, well, let me just get to the end of my first point. And I'll come back. To all it. right. It's like, it's the cabal. It, it's it's a network, and their networking is keeping regular people out because they, of course, want to make their wealth as big as it can. Like you said, we're in a numbers-based society. Everyone wants to increase their numbers. Well, um, here's another question then. But, like, if that's the case, and the cabal, a representative of the cabal came to you and said, you know, like in this event where you're like, where you've got 50 billion quid, and they said, we'll take all your money off you through like nefarious means unless you go along with what we want you to do. Uh, what would you do at that point? Would you just go with the flow? still live your like life of luxury and freedom and so forth as a billionaire or would you say no i i I refuse and then just be made impoverished again um i think like obviously the 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 sinful temptation to just like (laughs) go with the flow is there and that's going to be incredibly strong especially if it was like 50 billion or something there so there you go, yeah. it's like, you know, that it's like, so then like, you know, is Bill Gates to blame or is Bill Gates just the sort of product of something else? Like, is Bill Gates the human being uh, at fault? Or, you know, would is he just the person who's there because somebody else who said no isn't there, if you know what I mean? Mm. Like, the people who mm. say no... Are like the ones who refuse the power so they then you know by do, in doing that they you know they lose the ability to make an effect mm-hmm. so it's the it's the ones who do say yes to that question who do get into power as such so that's that you know that that sort of answers yeah, but this 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 conversation brings up a lot of sort of troubling conclusions, where, you know, Bill Gates and people like him, 
they're not necessarily to blame. You're quite right. It's it's that they're quite masterful at how to manipulate these systems into, you know, positioning themselves in positions of power and securing their sort of um, legacy in a sense. They're, they're, they're quite proficient and masterful at that. But it raises a lot of troubling conclusions on the sort of nature of how the society has ended up cobbling itself together. Yeah. And um, like... but then, like, at the same time, you know, even in with all this, like, you know, you can point out corruption and so forth, like bad things. Actually, there's a lot of good things about the modern world too. Like, we have greater life expectancy less people in poverty you know you, you just have to like read a history book and see like how actually bad things were for especially for like the poor and serf classes and slave classes in history compared to today like the people like the so-called poor people of today actually live lives that are wealthier and grander than that of like a king a few hundred years ago so, mm. in a sense, like, the products of sort of, like, the technological capitalist society can actually be quite good. It just depends how you actually value it, because maybe it comes with, like, some sort of spiritual sickness where you're so detached from your, like, human roots that you don't even know what it feels like to, you know, climb a mountain or whatever. Or, you know, you don't... Mm. You don't What's that phrase that goes around these days, like touch grass? Like, yeah. like that that is grass actually like a thing grass. though, isn't it? Like I I've got like cause I live in a city, like I don't really actually touch grass that often. <laughs> well <laughs> So I, like, I touch I, I, a lot I, of concrete and such, but um, you know I, I, no, I, I, I guess I do, you know, I walk through the park like pretty much every day, so at least I, mm. I walk over grass in my in my uh, Nike trainers, <laughs> but I don't actually. Maybe I should start, you know, like actually kneeling down and touching it with my hands every day too, rather than just like once every week or two. I'd, but no, no. But I think it's like kind of funny, like gr like grass. Like think about like life five hundred years ago. Like grass would just be like some inevitable aspect of everyday life. Like you'd be walking over grass like all always. Yeah. So like we're, very we're a paved road. Yeah, so like, you know, we're detached from from like that sort of like what you'd call natural reality. Mm -hmm. But then like in a, but all of this like virtual virtual state we were talking about earlier and technology, that is like in essence a part of nature too. And it's like it's a product of like maths and science. So that's the weird thing about maths, even though it's not like objectively true necessarily, it still like manages to produce these like strange inventions like the internet are products of, you know, maths, geometry, science, whatever. Um, so we live in like this weird like fantasy world where there's this like thing that appears to be true, though I've closer scrutiny isn't necessarily true but at the same time it can produce these like really surreal effects like the internet that completely alter the nature of reality so we live in like we live in nature still but it's like some like new nature 
you techno nature yeah i was i was thinking of a book that i read um a few weeks ago while you were talking and it was talking about how like um i believe it was something out of america and it was like during the sort of 1700s 1800s and they were talking about how like as part of a rite of passage of a, of a boy becoming a man they, they they they'd go out hunting and 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 the boy had to you know kill the deer and like yeah. you know skin it and like you know cut the meat and everything and i was just like that is so radically different to where we're at now yeah um, i can't say i've ever <laughs> killed an animal for meat like how many times have i ate meat in my life probably a lot more than that person who had to yeah. kill their own animals you know i, I had um a beef taco today i've never killed a cow yeah. though exactly you know and yeah. that's it, it it's like one thing that i kind of realized is that we tend to think of society as like this rooted solid thing but the rules of society and the name of the game changes every 20 30 years and yeah. now especially going into the 2020s like we're undergoing this sort of massive phase of transition yeah. where, like I said earlier, no one's sure which way is up. And, you know, I think we're going to come out the other side and by the end of 2020s, things are going to look way different than the start. And I, I know that's quite easy to say, but more so than quite a few other decades, because I feel like the 2010s was kind of stagnant in terms of like changes to the status quo things pretty much you know um... no i think a lot changed in the 2010s like particularly with the rise of smartphones that like totally changed everything i think mm. and like we're you know we're not getting rid of smartphones anytime soon like smartphones and google and apple and so forth are like the crux of the world economy now yeah. um we're gonna so... go for neural chips next. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna go that far personally, but. <laughs> well, you never know. There yeah, you can. You never, a, a never say to... never. Yeah, like. Um, speaking of surreal, um, fucking WWE have gone back to. Fucking Brock Lesnar won the Royal Rumble, and it's like. Yeah, I saw that. That was <laughs> so shit. While everything else is moving forwards, like WWE is still stuck. <laughs> Like, like it's still 2004 <laughs> so you like, know it's like it's, it goes to show like if you don't move with the times you just get frozen into a statue which is what WWE are right now <laughs> yeah I mean like Lesnar run the rumble in 03 as well so like literally they haven't moved in 19 yeah. years yeah <laughs> it's unbelievable yeah but I, I, I think that like touching on that absolutely like the passage of time is this fluid dynamic thing you can't really hold your ground no steadfast no. on really anything because it, it, you know the nature of life is yeah. is fluid and moving and i feel like um more I think so it's good to have like ever. certain convictions though and like ideals that you want to um guide the flow of things towards yeah but at the same time if yeah. you're too idealistic you'll just get rooted in the ground like a statue and stuck there while everything flows mm -hmm. over you um mm -hmm. so yeah you've got a you know bit, bit of both 
you've got to have some structure, but you've also got to be open to letting the world yeah. change around you. Yeah. And I think that, like, that's what I was saying earlier about, like, independence and freedom and stuff. Having that understanding of, like, where your personal um, freedom comes from and what aspects of your reality you can actually influence and yeah. change so that's a that's so, a good that's a good turning point in this conversation right because i think like you know we've established a lot about how you think about things and you know um how you like philosophically look at things and politically look at things and stuff so it's a good turning point now to like actually focus on you know you and this magazine like where it's going and stuff and um we'll we'll you know we'll make this for the um subscribers only so if you want to hear the rest of this podcast subscribe at patreon.com slash evolve mag uk so yeah let's talk about um let's talk about evolve magazine then you know like the the word evolve sort of like relates exactly to this whole concept of you know like surfing the waves of time and you know going with the changes and stuff you know like it's not it's not saying like root yourself to the ground magazine it's like evolve magazine it's like change so you know we're in a time of like great change that's for sure Uh, yeah especially around the magazine you know yeah like Um, both in the world and the magazine so um like just tell me about your relationship with the magazine and stuff and you know you as a person like think about like where you are like right now in life compared to you know say like five years